This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek Ciapala. And tonight we have ourselves a spe- our, ourselves ourselves a special guest from Locked On Angels. Taylor Blake Ward is joining us. We're just going to talk some baseball. It's a little bit of a different style podcast tonight. We're not going to go all deep into all these different many, many threads of conversation. We're just going to go just grab bag this thing. Just talk some Angels baseball, maybe talk some baseball in general. And hopefully, hopefully, by the time we're done talking, it's been a nice, fun conversation, and Taylor will want to come back one day. Hopefully. I mean, I can only assume so. Taylor, how you doing, man? Uh, just uh, fighting a little bit of a cold, but getting over it and uh, sitting waiting for my wife to get home. I'm actually on the front porch just uh, waiting for her to get home. So how are you doing? Well, I am doing solid. I think I've been a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The listeners are... Uh, are aware that you know took a took a tumble at, at school and I'm um, just sitting here with my leg up and waiting for miracles. How's that sound? Like a, my, yeah. my my own personal field of dreams. How's that? Sounds miracles. like a plan. That's all. Sounds like a plan. So heading into to tonight, we, the Angels are off today. They just split one with the Texas Rangers. It's been really kind of weird in the last two weeks, three weeks. Now we've been watching the Angels just dip. They're nine and twenty-one. Their last thirty games. Well, I mean, they've they are who many of us thought they would be last June and May, minus a certain somebody we all miss. What really contributes to the fact that the Angels have dropped out of the, the pennant race? I mean, pitching has been overworked. Uh, the relief pitching has been overworked, and it's starting to catch up with them pretty well. Um, obviously, the injuries to the pitching staff, along with uh, the obvious loss of Tyler Skaggs, has really taken its hit. Uh, pitching's just really not making the mark, and you know, the offense will go cold for a night or so, and uh, usually that's when the pitching is picking up. So just uh, things aren't clicking for the team. Uh, it's, you know, if it's not one thing, it's the other. And, um, I mean, I think particularly it's definitely the pitching, though, and it's a lot of guys that have been overworked uh, for reasons, some controllable, some not. 
What do you mean by some controllable and some not? Well, I mean, you know, the relief core comes in uh, for the third time through the order for starters. And that's, you know, I, I understand that the uh, statistics support that and everything. But it seems like um, even if a guy's performing well, it, it's an automatic pull going to the third time through the order. So where that's in the uh, third inning, fourth inning, fifth inning, you know, I think starters need to be going at least five innings at, at minimum. And it's been a real concern. You know, it's been a real problem when it comes to the angels. And like I said, you know, statistics support it and everything, uh, not going through the third time, but pitchers need to be able to do that. I think it's their job. So let's just go through the last two games then, because Andrew Heaney does go six, gets just over a hundred pitches. I think that sounds about right. They look like they're about tempted to pull him early. They let him finish. Then goes his six innings. Last night, Sandoval gets 84 pitches, nine strikeouts, four walks, Overall, nice evening, though, it, and they pull him. What's the difference to you between those two decisions in terms of the pitching staff? I don't think there was one. I think it was third time through the order. I think that was what they were trying to avoid. Uh, I think the difference is about 20 pitches or whatever it was, and uh, I'd have given Patrick you know, an attempt on those 20 pitches to give yourself another inning, not have to worry about uh, using the relief arm. I, I missed last night's game, so I didn't see that fifth inning. Watching in the game before, he didn't just get into, and talking about Andrew Heaney, he didn't just get into the third time through. He went through the lineup all the way through until he pulled him. So to me, that's a difference in terms of decision-making. Could it be a possibility of a trust issue at this point? Or maybe potentially looking at, hey, I want to save Sandoval's arm and what's basically now a meaningless game going down the stretch. What are some other thoughts that could go into that? You know, I, I think it's solely a statistical view. Uh, we look at what the Angels have been this year and last year. And, um, I mean, there's proof in the pudding. Uh, I think, you know, opposing teams are hitting, like, with a 9 OPS the third time through the order against Angel starters. But at the same time, you know, Sandoval had faced 19 guys, so you can imagine he went one deep into the third time to the order. But I, I just don't see any other reason outside of, you know, going through a third time here that why these guys shouldn't be going up to 100 pitches. I'm not saying, you know, send them out for 120 pitches or whatever it is. Uh, you know, this isn't C.J. Wilson out there. And, he you know, C.J. did a great job of doing that at times. But um, yeah, I just – I understand why. I just don't necessarily like why. <laughs> and that's, uh, you know, that's a me problem, not an Angels problem. But we are seeing that argument pop up a lot, especially – oh, my gosh – Angels Facebook, man, like that thing on fire. There is just the constant now. Brad Ausmus, Brad Bleepmus, you know, there's he's I mean, decisions, it's all analytics, there's no instincts. And I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I looked at the Heaney game and I think I think he wanted to pull Heaney early. And he followed his gut and in the end it worked out. But I, I wonder at a twenty one year old kid who has had a great game and you're thinking, well maybe Maybe let's you know let's get him out of this game on a high note. Let's get him out of here, having struck out nine dudes and and played a great great game. I don't always know that if it's that's analytics, and that's my my real argument back. I'm, I'm not even sure I disagree with you. I I think that it's an opportunity to build some confidence in the kid without killing his arm, like protecting the kid's arm. He's 21. You only have so many bullets in the chamber. He's one of your future guys. And I 
honestly contemplate if there's just a difference in thinking compared to a 28-year-old Heaney versus a 21-year-old Sandoval. Yeah, there's an option there. I mean, um, the difference here, though, is the difference between two more years of control and six more years of control. Mm. Um, if, if Patrick Sandoval goes down for a year, um, yeah, it's a shame. And that's not you know the absolute scenario. But if he goes down for a year, it's a real shame. But you still have four or five years of control left of his contract. Uh, Andrew Heaney is 28 years old, coming off Tommy John surgery, uh, coming off multiple injuries. And, yeah, I mean, you have two years of control left, and you have also the trust factor that he's a major league veteran uh, compared to a rookie. But I I just – I'm still trying to see this difference between, you know, if uh, – the only time I think the Angels let someone go through the order a third time was Andrew Heaney, and it was against Texas when he was uh, – it wasn't a no-hitter, but he was on – he had struck out 14 or 15 – he struck 14, out 15 yeah. that day. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean – I just don't see how it's anything other than than this dead set number that they're looking at and trying to. I, I believe that they should be developing guys like Patrick Sandoval. Um, I'm not saying they're not, but at the same time, you know, you, you're out of the playoff race pretty well. Uh, you're not going to make up 13, 14 games here in September. So why not give him an extra 13 pitches? What's what's the real loss or advantage here? Um, I understand, you know, it could lose you the game, and and you never want to lose games. But at this point in the season. Uh, it's almost better to lose games than win games when you're so when, when you're out of it. Uh, it's it's almost better at this point to lose games. I'm wondering if maybe as a 21 year old, 21 year old, a guy they're looking to develop, like you're saying, if it was strictly pitch count, or if they just saw Griffin Canning go down after one of his longer outings in terms of pitches this year, and thinking, you know what, I don't want to see that young young arm go down. That's what I'm wondering. But I love to be a fly in the wall in the clubhouse and really kind of understand wh- what they're trying to do in terms of third time through the lineup. Part of me, Taylor, I, th- I think that it depends on the mentality of, of that player. Are they the kind of player right now that you feel can stand up to taking a shot and seeing what they can do? Or is there, is there mentality a bit more – what's the word I'm looking for? Not prepared to take that shot? I uh, you've been around minor leaguers more. You tell me. You know, I mean, when it comes to the minor leagues, and especially with the Angels, you know, 90, 90 pitches is uh, an outing. It's you've worked a full load. You've you've hit your cap of what you need to be doing. But at the same time, I mean, you want to develop these guys. And the first person to argue that they could stay in the game for another fifteen pitches is the pitcher. The pitcher never wants the ball taken away from him, especially mm-hmm. the starting pitcher. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know where Patrick Sandoval is mentally. If he wanted another, maybe not an inning, but another two, three batters here and see where it goes. But I, there is not a single pitcher that wants to go short of 100 pitches and wants to go short of a full outing to, you know, put their team in the best scenario. Pitchers are just built that way. So it's an intriguing argument. I just, I'm not really certain if, whether Patrick Sandoval, and obviously, the Angels are going to be telling these pitchers, saying, hey, this is our our plan, this is our game plan, we, we're going to go through it pregame, we're going to talk to you about it during the game. Um, but, I, you know, I, I'm not Patrick Sandoval. I can't say that he should, you know, I'm not saying that he would have argued that he needed an extra inning or so, but I can't imagine him being happy being taken out at 80-something pitches instead of 100. Something I saw also today, just relating with young pitchers, another issue that 
I've been wondering about now, and I actually saw a player verbalize it. Um, I remember Berea mentioning that it's getting tiring having to go up and down, up and down between the majors and minors. I've watched a lot of years of Angels baseball. This is the most I've seen players ever go up and down as much as we've seen Angels pitchers in particular go down this year. What do you believe really is the toll it takes on a player, both mentally and physically, as they're going back and forth between AAA and, and the major leagues? I think it changes guy to guy. I think, um, you know, there's some guys that totally get it, and they say, you know what, I wasn't performing, or this is just the the way it is. I've seen guys, um, you know, throw chairs because they're getting sent down. I've seen guys accept it and be like, yeah, you know, I wasn't good enough, or this is, you know, this was the plan all along. Um, physically, you know, I think it's the travel. Uh, I mean, heck, I think I'm fighting something because I traveled the other day, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, physically, yeah, it takes its toll. You know, you just worked, you know, for a pitcher, you just threw 100 pitches or whatever it was the night, you know, the morning of, and you're on a plane that night or you're on a plane the next day and you're trying to ice your arm or ice your elbow or whatever it is. And uh, for hitters, I think it's a lot easier on hitters. Um, the mental side is, is a little more challenging because you have to think about who you're facing that night, what it's going to take to get you back. But uh, I, I mean, it just changes guy to guy. It's going to be constantly different depending on who you ask. Uh, shifting gears to some of those players that we should probably see coming up in September. I'm guessing we're going to see Jared Walsh up. I'm, I'm guessing we're going to see Taylor Ward up. No relation, right? There's no relation, right? No, no, okay. no. Um, all these guys that have been up and down all year, I'm expecting to see him pop up in September. And I'm really curious as to what your evaluation is of these guys who have, in a hitter's league, like Jared Walsh with 34 home runs and Taylor Ward 26 home runs, what really can they do to you? What's their ceiling right now for you at the major league level? Um, I think Jared Walsh is kind of what he is. He's a little bit of a platoon guy. Uh, we've seen that he has outrageous power. We see that you know when he's making contact, it, it's true contact. Uh, he's got a decent approach at the plate. It's just finding a way to you know work against the best guys in the world. I mean, AAA is the second best league in probably the world. I think you can argue that is that AAA is the second best league in the world, but it's a night and day difference from the major leagues. If Jared Wall, I, I've said this before, is um, Jared Walsh is a lot like Ike Davis, not just because Ike Davis pitched, but. It's a very similar profile, very similar swing. Lefty, lefty, uh, you know, he's a left-handed bat uh, that plays first base. Has a chance in the outfield, but you're probably sticking with him at first. But Ike Davis was four inches taller with a little bit more mass uh, than Jared Walsh. Jared Walsh is only six foot. And I'm not going to knock on anyone's size, but the power isn't going to be the same uh, from a guy that's 6'4 to a guy that's six foot. And, I mean, we've seen guys like Jose Altuve, uh, Jose Ramirez, smaller guys that have some power. But to really tap into it, I think Jared has to really kind of change his game into contact and just trust that when he runs into one, he runs into one. As for Taylor Ward, I think it's still just getting the contact down. I think it's uh, he doesn't strike out a ton. He has a pretty good approach. He knows the strike zone well. I think defensively, just figure him in defensively where you can. Tell him not to worry about it through September. And you know, say, hey, you know what? You want to hit your way up here? Hit your way up here. And we'll find a way to get you on here defensively. But um, I think Taylor Ward is – I think he's just one of those, you know, maybe not a platoon player, but just a bench player uh, And overall. I think, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about Jose Rojas as well as a guy that has been performing well. I think that he has – 
uh, platoon opportunity. Like he's not uh, six foot either, so his power, you know, and I think he's a little bit better equipped than Jared Walsh or Taylor Ward right now to kind of tap into that platoon or bench role. Just because I feel like he has a little bit better understanding of, you know, if I make contact and drive the ball instead of worrying about, you know, slugging for power or whatever it is. I think that Jose Rojas may open a little bit more eyes. Uh, I still don't think he's anything more than a bench player in the long run, but I think he's going to gain that chance. You did take some heat, though, when you gave your breakdown on Jose Rojas not too long ago. I mean, I remember, I remember watching the heat you took, especially on social media, from some folks who are big Jose fans. Uh, what is the difference between your assessment and what other folks are seeing that has them all upset? Well, they're seeing a guy that's hitting 300 with 30 home runs in AAA, and usually that's a really good thing. But when you're playing at Salt Lake, that's a little bit above average. It's not. It's it's around average or above average. So you figure that you come up to the major leagues and you're an above average. You know, there's the difference between above average and well above average when it comes to AAA. Um, Jose just it's the profile. You know, he he gets the barrel to the ball pretty well. He he can hit fairly well. Um, he's serviceable defensively across the field, so he could kind of come into some bench piece, bench spots for you. But it's, I mean, people want to cheer for this guy, and I do too. You know, he's an Anaheim guy. He's a 38th round pick or 37th round pick, whatever he is, out of a local school out here. He's a local kid, and he's a story that would be fantastic, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love that. I would cheer for the guy too. I mean, I am cheering for the guy to be more than what I think he is, but it's just, you know, there's a, it's a very unorthodox swing. Um, sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't, it can be exposed and I I wish him the best, but I just don't see how he's anything more than a bench player. And I mean, for a 38th rounder to even be in the conversation of being a major leaguer, Jared Walsh as well. It's, you know, we're talking about Jared Walsh and Jose Rojas and Taylor Ward. Taylor Ward was a first round pick. Even if it was a little bit of an overdraft, he was a first round pick. Jared Walsh is a 39th round pick. Jose Rojas, 38th round pick. The fact that those guys are all in the same conversation is astonishing in itself. Um, so, you know, I want to wish Jose Rojas the best. I think I, I love the story. I hope that he proves everyone wrong uh, that is in my boat, uh, which includes a lot of scouts, a lot of executives. Um, but I just don't know if, you know, I don't think he's going to be a starter uh, long term for the Angels at any point. Now, I do want to see him get the chance. And I think he will get the chance in September here. Going with the rest of the team and and filling out that forty man roster, who would you like to see come up here in September and get their shot? I think it's too soon for a few guys that I want to see, but one is Jeremy Rhodes. Uh, he's kind of worked as when it comes to Salt Lake. You know, you're going to look at his numbers and see that he has like an ERA over six, which is not good. But at Salt Lake, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, his strikeout numbers are great. He's got a really good slider is a real weapon. His fastball is around average. You know, it's about 90. Uh, it's It'll touch the mid-90s, which you could range around above average. But uh, I want to see him come up as a bullpen piece. I think he's served the Angels well in his time, a former fourth-rounder, I believe. Um, so they're going to give him that opportunity, I'm sure. Um, other guys, um, you know, I can't think of anyone off the top of my mind. Uh, maybe Anthony Bamboom, get him back up, which would be really exciting. Um, any of the pitchers, just get those pitchers out of Salt Lake. Give them that chance. You know, it's 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 a tough league. Um, Alex Klonowski, I want to see him come up. I don't think he will. Um, he's an organization filler guy, but just a guy that's been in the organization for so long. 
He came from the DePoto era. Um, just a guy that's really served the Angels well that I, I would love to see him get a chance. Very similar to, he's like the pitching version of Sherman Johnson last year. So the rest of the farm system, in the Angels top 30, it's been a, kind of a mixed bag this year in terms of performances. None of them really have, uh, how do I say this? None of them have really, none of the top guys have really performed like we'd all hoped. Some have done fine. Some have done fairly well. But we've seen a lot of 240 averages, a lot of you know disappointing numbers here. Which Angels prospects do you believe will get it all together and really start making the jump to the majors heading into 2020 and 2021? You know, I, I think the way that we look at statistics now is ever-changing because we used to look at home run totals. We used mm-hmm. to look at batting average. We used to look at things like this. Right now, I, I like to look at the context of it and see where they are on par with the rest of the league. Someone was explaining to me the other day, you know, if someone has a 30% strikeout rate uh, down in low A, they're not going to become a major leaguer, really. Uh, There's a chance. But even a guy like Joey Gallo, who strikes out an outrageous amount, he struck out at like 25%, 20 to 25% when he was in single A. Um, So when it comes to guys that I think are really going to bridge the gap is you start looking at guys like uh, Brandon Marsh, who has tapped into a little bit of his power. He's done fantastic this year. He's actually batting somewhere around 300 right now. Um, I think you're going to start to see guys really get challenged. I think one guy in particular, though, that is going to take a, the next step is Jordan Adams. Kylie McDaniel of Fangraphs had a great conversation about this, and he said, for a guy that never really solely focused on baseball and never really had a, never played in a uh, high-skilled baseball league and uh, as an amateur or anything, jumped right into single A put up above average uh, offensive marks. All the you know defensive and speed qualities are almost you know plus plus to 80 grade. I think Jordan Adams is really going to turn some heads next year, maybe even be a top 100 prospect kind of guy. And I mean, I, you can quote me on that one. I, I think he is ready to turn the corner and really show some people that he is a special baseball player. And what do you think about this year's draft picks, Wilson and Kyron Paris and all those guys? Well, Wilson, I, I think he's really intriguing. I think that it's it's not the upside pick that Adele and Adams were, but I think that all the when a guy has average tools and they kind of play out and they're advanced and you were a college performer, I think that turns into a really good baseball player that kind of goes ignored. And I think that a lot of people were upset because there were some high school players, there were some college pitchers available. But I think at the same time, I, I think Will Wilson's going to turn out to be a really good baseball player. Um I know that his performance has kind of been a little lackluster with rookie Orem, but the guy played 70 games already this year. He didn't. He he could have mentally checked out very early, you know, right at the draft mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I'm not saying he did, but he had nothing to prove this year. Uh, next year when he gets into single A, then yeah, it's a little different, and he's got to be able to perform. Uh, Kyron Paris uh, had it had a minor tweak. I don't remember exactly what it was, but. Um, you know, I think just a very raw, very young kid. I mean, he doesn't turn 18 until November. Uh, so, I mean, he's, you figure, you know, I turned 18 a week into my senior year of high school and he's playing professional baseball at the same age. You know, I was his, when I was his age, I was in my, gosh, I was graduate or I was finishing my junior year, basically, (laughs) you know, um, I think he's going to turn into a really exciting piece. I don't, you know, sometimes you take a gamble on that. Uh, I think the gamble is worth it, though. I think he's a really special uh, special player, and it's going to be fun to kind of track how he performs. Not just how he performs, but how he develops as a baseball player, especially being such a young man. 
Well, I mean, we had him on the show, and his attitude is just for a oh, young. It, for, oh, oh, he's lights out. Oh, he's I mean, fantastic. You know, he is world class. Um, and that's that's not just this year. I mean, uh, I saw him about a year ago when he was <laughs> when he was sixteen years old, and he was he's world class. Fantastic young man. It, it's always really easy to see. I think some of that too, just some little things like, "Hey, I'm Derek C. Paul, I'm reaching out to you from the Talking Halos podcast, and I'd like to know if you'd like to come on the show and just introduce yourself to the fans who listen to the show." And Kyron made the time and came on and was a gentleman the entire time. Uh, Chad Sykes did the same thing, and and that tells you a little bit about who these these folks are when they're willing to take some time out of obviously busy schedule to spend a little bit with you just to get to you know help Angels fans get to know them a little bit. That tells you a lot about their character, especially at a young age. And I was really impressed by that. And his ad to the entire time, even when he um, made the appearance up in the Angels box the day he got signed, was a kid who just, <laughs> pretty clearly, he loves the game. And sometimes I think this game misses that. I mean, just that exuberance for the game. Sometimes it's just about business, you know? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it's... It's, uh, you see, I mean, you got to praise his parents. I mean, for him to be so young and to be such a professional already in his career, I mean, he's, uh, he went through the summer circuit. He went through the media circus that is the draft. And, you know, his name flowed around forever and a day, uh, where he was going to go. And he had to deal with that. And I think just to see someone like that, see someone of that age, um, you, you just got to give it to the parents and got to give it to the kid as well. And, uh, Kyron Paris and, I mean, not that, I'm not saying anything poor about Chad Sykes. I think he's world class too. But Kyron Paris has blown me away. And the same thing for uh, Joe Adele, um, Jamai Jones. Uh, they're all fantastic young men. Moving ahead here, one last question. Just going, having looking out to the off season because let's admit it, many of us are after watching this season. <laughs> I think all the dominoes are in order here. I think the Angels will be aggressive this off season. I'm not sure how aggressive it's going to wind up being, but I think they're going to be aggressive. Looking ahead to free agency, which players do you think they will take a shot at? <laughs> I mean, can I go with the obvious one? <laughs> well, it was the obvious one, but yeah, go for it. <laughs> I mean, Garrett Cole, how can you not? I think there's going to be a lot of teams really aggressive. I think the Angels do have an edge. I think, um, I think that some of the extracurriculars when it comes to Garrett Cole and the Angels, uh, the, the local thing, I, sometimes I think that's a little bit blown out of proportion that he's a local guy. Um, you know, the connection with the Astros and Doug White and Max Stassi and things like this. And I, I, when all that was going on, I was like, yeah, you know, whatever. And now it's starting to kind of be like, you know what? These things are starting to kind of play. They're kind of starting to play. Um, the Angels have some money to spend. Um, they need they need him. I mean, they need Garrett Cole. Uh, they need that front line starter. They need. I mean, they're going to need multiple pitchers, but to add, add Garrett Cole is is an entirely different item. Um, I think <laughs> I think the Angels are in very good hands, and if they end up not getting him, I think there's going to be a, a good. You know, I think Garrett's going to give a very good reason as to why not. Um, outside of that, uh, I haven't looked at the catcher's market, but probably a catcher. Uh, they probably need a catcher. Um, and then it's all about pitching. Um, Zach Wheeler, Kyle Gibson, Jake Odorizzi, Wade Miley. <sighs> you know, I, I think a lot of teams are going to avoid Madison Bumgarner um, just because of the age and also the extracurriculars that come with him. Um, but, you know, maybe you give a shot to Madison Bumgarner if if he makes it all the way into kind of a, a late 
late winter kind of thing and and he's your last bet and you you can have a little bit of excess funds to give to him um hunjin ryu i don't know if he fits the angels mold as much but if you strike out on garrett cole i I absolutely would go and try and at least get him for a few years uh hunjin ryu is a very special pitcher i don't know how long he'll last and and those kind of contracts really come back to bite you so it'd be a little Mm. challenging um, but Zach Wheeler with the injuries, there's a little bit of questions, but he really fits what the angels are looking at. Um, Kyle Gibson, not as much, but I think that he, I think if you're just looking to maybe not a Trevor Cahill or Matt Harvey kind of thing, but if you're looking to just fill spots in the rotation, uh, that's a, there's a little bit of money that's going to be needed there. But at the same time, I, I think that's a little bit of a value signing. Well, I look at that market and think if they don't get coal, they're going to get hammered. I, I, yeah, you got to wait. I mean, you're waiting out a year for Trevor Bauer, and you're waiting out for other guys to come up. But it, no, you, you Garrett Cole is almost a necessity at this point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, given how much I know, you see it with the Locked On Angels feed. I know you're starting. I mean, I've noticed it just the the change in tone from the <laughs> fan base here that it's almost starting to turn some semi mutinous. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah. after the way last year's free agency worked out. It's almost like they have to just go and, even if necessary, overpay to get oh, yeah. Cole. I think I mean, a lot's right on that. Yeah, I mean, there's always... I mean, the fans have a say. They're the ones that show up to the park, and they're the ones that support the team, and they're, that's where the money comes from for the most part. But... Um, and Artie Moreno and Billy Epler want to please the fans, but this is a business. And sometimes business just doesn't work in the favor of the supporters. Uh, you know, I I love AAA, you know, Auto Club of Southern California car insurance, but it's expensive. And I don't like that, but I still use it. Um, I like Verizon wireless, but it's more expensive. I still use it. You know, it's... Uh, the fans are going to come out regardless. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, the fans are always allowed to have their say. That's their opinion. It's First Amendment rights. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is a business. And Billy's got to look at this as a business. Artie's got to look at this as a business. And they've got to make their own decisions. And as much as the fans want to have their input, it's it's on Billy and it's on Artie. Well, in fairness, you sign Cole, you're going to sell a lot of jerseys. Uh, yeah, you're going to sell jerseys, you're going to sell tickets, you're going to make a lot of people happy. And I think that's a positive. I have, you know, I I think Billy's done a fantastic job as general manager. I know that um, there's a lot of people that are they're showing their frustration uh, openly, and I, I don't understand it. Uh, I really don't understand it. I, I've seen very, very stupid remarks uh, when it comes to opinions of Billy Epler that are very inaccurate, very incorrect, and I, I think that's ridiculous. But you know, you're open to that opinion. You're entitled to that. It's all First Amendment. And it's my First Amendment to call you stupid. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, as always, love having a conversation with you. Can you let folks know, as if they didn't already, but can you let folks know where they can find you and your show? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward and go check out Locked On Angels. Uh, you can head over to LockedOnAngels.com or we're on uh, all kinds of podcast service providers Google, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I gotta well, get. I guess I gotta give the sponsors one. So the new Himalaya podcast. Yeah, free news you download through your Apple app or Google Play Store. <laughs> and there you go. So you you have it memorized now too. It's not even something you just have to read. Oh, no, like, it bam! It, I got it's, it. It's on. Oh yeah. No, it's. Uh, I mean, for those that listen to Locked On Angels and listen to Talking Halos, and they're listening, and saying, you know, this is the guy that is on that podcast. I, I mean, 
I have to read those. Uh, I actually, I'll, I'll admit it. I've used some of the sponsors and they're fantastic. And mm-hmm. some of those, I, I just, I read them and that's what I go with. So, <laughs> As, well, you got to pay the bills and happy that those folks are help, willing to help pay the bills. So, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks so much. for. T- I know tonight you were squeezing me in here. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and just talk some angels baseball. And as always, we'll be in touch. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me on. And thank you. All right. As always, a fun conversation with Taylor Bedford. He's not ever, ever afraid to give his thoughts or opinions. Um, a little more graceful, I think, than sometimes I am. I, I When I talk about something, I'll, I'll give it a few more words than just say that was stupid. You know, one of the things I saw today in terms of conversation coming with Alice I I think that folks are a bit hard on him. I think they're a little bit too hard. I, I disagree probably a little bit with Taylor Blake Ward in terms of uh, how the decision-making goes. I think it's based on the individual. I think it's based on their mentality. I think it, it's based on body language. And if you're a manager and you're a pitching coach and you're watching that guy out on the, on the mound and maybe they're losing confidence, maybe they're, just, they're losing something, you know, that's a question I wish I could ask. I wish I could ask Brad Osmus that. I think analytics does play a part in it. And I think – if people look at his Detroit tenure, they will understand that he was hit hard for not really working in analytics like we thought he would for, for Detroit. So it does stand to reason that maybe he would be looking at things a little bit differently. Now, again, when the season's over and when we get some of the opportunities to look back on it and talk to him about it, hopefully we get some more details. But I just, I just think that people are a bit too hard on him Based on one fact alone, he has let numerous pitchers go six and seven and even once eight in the last couple of weeks. What was the secret? Keeping pitch counts low. It was getting people out. That's the no-brainer, right? And controlling the game. And when you do that, like we've seen him do recently, you're going to go longer. So, I, you know, it's just, it's a bit of a different opinion. I think that with Taylor Blake Ward, though, he is a little bit more like me in one respect. And unlike John, too, is we've watched a lot of baseball. We've seen guys who have been able to dominate games for nine innings straight. We've seen Randy Johnson in the years go ten innings before. We've seen, uh, geez, Garrett Cole now. It's surprising if he doesn't go six. As a major league pitcher, you should be able to do that. I think there's other factors, though, involved that I'd like to examine later on this year. I'd like to look at the effect of training performance, off-season work. Guys are throwing harder. Today, he mentioned a prospect having a mid-range fastball, and that mid-range fastball was a 95, 94-mile-an-hour fastball. 20 years ago, that's a, that's a monster fastball. That's a nasty fastball. Now, if you're not hitting 97, 98, your fastball, well, that's okay. What's changed? Well, the build of the body has changed. And when you're throwing 98, 99 miles an hour, you're taking more away from your body than you are for someone who's throwing a 91, 92 mile an hour sinker. It's just simple physics. You get this, your body's not meant to throw like that period, really, but you're not meant to throw 100 mile an hour fastballs. But you do, and you pay a price for it. So that's the difference. That's the massive, and we love gas. Like we love watching somebody throw 100, 101 miles an hour and just, just wipe somebody out. And we love watching Mike Trout hit someone's 101-mile-an-hour fastball out of the park. That's, that's fun baseball. But the reality is I think we 
would really gain if we could see more of the data related to the increase in velocity versus the increase of muscle mass, how it compares in terms of mechanics. Um, I'm a nerd like that, and I my, my running theory is that you want to know why pitchers are not going as far. That's one of the reasons why. Everybody's trying to throw gas. Everybody's trying to throw a gajillion miles an hour, and in the end, your body pays for it. I look at Griffin Canning, and he's not really trying to do that, but his mechanics are off. I've been saying that. His mechanics, no, let me correct myself, they're not off, but he's quirky. He throws a lot more with his arm than what you'd want. He doesn't have that big leg kick to kind of push him forward. And I, watching how his, his movement goes, you can see where he could potentially have arm problems. I wonder if they're going to tinker with that this offseason. You generally don't want to do that. When someone has a mechanic that's stable and stays the same, you generally don't want to change it, but maybe you have to to help avoid injury. Pitching is different. Pitching is much different, and I think a lot of it also changed with the specialized roles that managed like Tony La Russa came up with later in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, where you had your, your seventh inning man, your eighth inning setup man, and then you had your closer. And all of a sudden, you really only needed your starter to go six innings. Over time... There's been lesser of a need. There's been less of a need, sorry, to be a complete game guy. And I wonder if that plays a role in it. It was really interesting also hearing him talk about the different prospects coming up. And we didn't even really get into some of the ones I'm more curious about, like Matan. I'm curious about Jemai Jones. I want to know where he thinks Eric Hanowitz, the young young third rounder this year the Angels picked up. There's been some buzz around him and what he's capable of. I want to hear more about those. That's going to be it for next time. All right, folks. Just a couple of things here in terms of podcast business. We, you know, we are a newer podcast. And hey, if you like what we're doing, we really appreciate a review on iTunes. Just what's well, Apple Music now, but a five star review helps us move up the charts. We have done very well in getting those reviews. Thank you very much. If you are apprehensive about hooking us with that five star review, you like us to earn it. Cool. Email us at talkinghalos at gmail.com. Give us that feedback. Let us know what you think we can do better, and you better believe we'll take it to heart. Doesn't mean we'll always agree, but we'll listen and take it to heart. Also, if you're a new listener and you're enjoying the show, tell a fellow Angels fan about us. We'd really appreciate all that support. It means the world to us. And, of course, thank you. Finally, as we're getting ready to head into the Boston series, the Angels come in struggling. I mean, geez, it's... It's been hard to watch. It's been watching this team kind of fall apart over the last few days, weeks, really. 9-21, their last 30 games. It's been brutal. They're going to face a Boston Red Sox team that is slowly watching its season wither away as well, although they've been producing much better results overall. They are 72-62. and They've won seven of their last 10 games. They are still in it to a degree. They have some work to do, some serious work to do, especially with Oakland being... 77-56 with Cleveland at 79-55. It is really important right now for the Red Sox to not only win this series with the Angels, but they need to come in and sweep it. For them, the stakes are this. Boston is currently five and a half games out of the wild card behind Oakland. They got to pass Tampa Bay. They got to pass Tampa Bay. The Angels are 64-71, 14 games out. They've lost seven of their last 10. They're done. They're just done. So it just comes down to Boston, Tampa Bay, Oakland and Cleveland fighting for those last two wild card spots. Right now, the Yankees are in pretty well. They're in control out there in the, in the East. You got the Twins. 
Three and a half games up on Cleveland entering play on Wednesday night. And the Astros, well, they've pretty much run away this division. They are nine games up on Oakland. So it's really down to the wild cards right now. We're going to see how things go. I like the Indians' chances to finish this up. I like the A's' chances to finish this up. Tampa Bay has some struggles, especially offensively. They have the pitching. And Boston just doesn't have the pitching. But they sweep the Angels this weekend. We might see a little bit of room for them. Angels, they, well, well, we can find out Mike Trout has an injury to his foot. That's the reason why they've been, you know, given some playing time. I wonder how much this has been affecting his swing. We've been talking about some of the mini slumps he's had. With a foot injury especially, that changes your stance, or could change your stance. It could change a lot of things. It could just change you mentally. He's tougher mentally than that, but it's always there. I'd like to see um, him get it better, get healthy. And we'll see where he finishes the rest of the year. Right now, he leads the majors with 43 home runs that are going to play on Friday night. All right. That's the layout for you. One more thing about this series before we hit the road. The pitching matchups right now look like this. Friday night's game, Boston will send out Nathan Yavaldi. Uh, 1-0 with a 6-6-4 ERA. Jose Suarez will go out 2-5 with a 6-6-7 ERA. That one is not going to be pretty one way or the other I with two guys over six ERAs. Angels lineup, though, has been struggling. We'll see how that one works out. Angels on Saturday night and Angels on Sunday night look a little bit differently. Or Sunday afternoon. Angels on Sunday afternoon look a little bit differently. Pitching on Sunday, Jaime Berea at 4-7, the 6-1-0 ERA. David Price at 7-5, a 4-3-6 ERA pitches on Sunday. That game... By the way, a 4.07 start backing up to Saturday. Saturday's game looks like the Angels will send out there Dylan Peters against to be determined. Dylan Peters is 3 and 2, the 4.11 ERA. He's come back to earth a little bit. It'd be nice to see him give the Red Sox some problems. So there you go. There's the lineup. I do not know what to tell you about this series. The Angels and the Red Sox have had many a great series together, but the Red Sox always didn't have their number. Okay, folks, it is time for us to go. Time for us to hit the road. Before we go, I want to just ask if you are interested in sponsoring this podcast, reach out to us at talkinghalesgmail.com if you like what we're doing, and help us keep the lights on here. I mean, seriously, we need to keep these lights on. You can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We'd love to talk to you. Also, don't forget that you can find us on Twitter at Talkin' Halos. You can find our Facebook page by searching Talkin' Halos in the top bar. We also have the Talkin' Halos group. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul. Don't forget my partners in crime, guys like John Crane at Jace Crane John and Jared Timms, Jared underscore Timms. Check it out. This Sunday night, we'll be back with you for the entire staff. We'll see you Sunday. We're out of here. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.
The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history still in the making? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.